Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, February 25th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and with me today, we have our experts, as always, in key wealth management, George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So it's been a very challenging week in the markets for obvious reasons. So let's start with our discussion today. So it's been a pretty interesting week uh, with everything going on in uh, Ukraine and Russia, but we'll start with a recap of the quick economic news, give our partners an opportunity to share their thoughts on what uh, what's going on from an economic perspective. And certainly then we'll rotate back to the Ukraine-Russia situation for their opinions and thoughts and insights. But at the end of the day, econ data that came out this week, personal consumption expenditures were up 2.1% month over month in January, which was a little better than expected. Inflation came along with that to some degree. The personal consumption's expenditure inflation index was up 0.6% month over month and 6.1% year over year. But if we exclude food and energy, it's only up 0.5% month over month and 5.2% for year over year. So at the end of the day, certainly energy prices were up, food prices were up. That's causing the overall inflation to be up, which is not a surprise. At the end of the day, though, unemployment claims were still low from the perspective of the pre-pandemic levels. So that's always good news as we continue to see our, our economy has underlying solid footing. And last but not least, the second estimate for fourth quarter GDP 2021 came out, and that number was 7.0%, which was actually up from the first estimate last month at 6.9%. So all in all, some pretty decent numbers from an economic perspective to continue to show that the underlying economy is strong and continues to be so. So, George, do you have anything you want to add on that? Not too much, Brian. I mean, I think you summarized it pretty well. I mean, um the GDP number of 7% needs to also be uh, taken in nominal terms, right? So if you take that 7% number, you add inflation to that, you know, that gets you, gosh, something close to 14 or 15% that the economy is growing at. And that's that directly translates to revenues and sales and ultimately earnings potentially too. So you've got that strong momentum of, you know, double digit uh, nominal GDP growth. Um, wages are really running pretty high and, and uh, very robust. Continuing claims you mentioned, they're, I think they're at a 52-year low. So um, the employment sector is really quite strong. And um, it seems to be accelerating a bit, honestly, because um, the Omicron cases, we haven't talked about pandemics, uh, the pandemic in a while, but you've got cases that are down some 90% from their peak, 9-0. That, uh, that's kind of starting to kind of translate to, um, to broadening of economic activity. Um, we'll have to see what um, Ukraine brings to this calculus in the next couple of weeks. But... Uh, restaurant activity is up, um, chartering jets and you know, travel and things like that are, are up. And so it seems like the economy, by all accounts, uh, just you know, in the last few weeks or so, have started to accelerate a little bit. So that's all, that's all good news on the, uh, the employment situation, the economy situation. We'll get 
new employment numbers next Friday, and those will be kind of uh, interesting to watch. We were expecting last month to be a little bit weak, but they actually were quite strong. So um, it does seem that the economy is, is actually in pretty good shape. Great, George. Thanks for that context. So I think the dominant story this week, obviously, is the Ukraine-Russia situation. So we've got three of our investment experts on the call, as, as usual, to give us their opinions on what it really means from a market perspective, the economy, overall risks, overall balance of equations, and then certainly uh, we'll talk about a good discussion with what it means for a potential Fed action next month relative to the potential rate hike increase schedule that has been discussed for many months now. So why don't we just open up the conversation to get some thoughts from everybody in their respective area and what we think uh, Russia-Ukraine means for what's happening here in the United States stock market and bond market. Yeah, I, I can kick it off, Brian, and then uh, maybe flip it over to Steve to talk about energy, because I, I, at the end of the day, I think this is a, a story about energy. I mean, obviously, it's a story about geopolitical dynamics um, and certainly a, a very serious humanitarian issue that, that needs to be addressed, too, at some point. But uh, economically speaking, um, I think, again, the story might revolve around energy a lot, energy policy more specifically. But, you know, I guess what happened this week uh, kind of takes away uh, some of the ambiguity, if nothing else. I mean, there was a time and we weren't know we weren't, we didn't know exactly what might happen or how things might evolve. And now, sadly, it seems like there's um, there's an emphasis on really regime change with inside Ukraine. Um, and I think there's probably some more uncertainty about how this plays out, uh, knowing that there isn't, there aren't too many resolutions here in terms of really um, trying to maybe see these tensions de-escalate a little bit in the near term. Um, you know, I, I think it's um, some people have written that this is a change in the uh, the new world order, or maybe a, a, a kind of a regime change too in terms of how we've been thinking about uh, the axes of power for the last several decades. That seems to be, you know changed. Maybe that's a bit of an overstatement, but I think it's something we have to be thinking about. Um, it probably do, does do set up some new dividing lines with inside Europe uh, and NATO particularly. And I think, you know, the, the, the information I've read suggests that um, NATO is going to have a line in the sand. Russia might have their line in the sand too. Uh, and so that might be a kind of way of coexisting one thing, once things uh, normalize and settle down a little bit, um, but that could take some time. You know, economically, this is kind of a, a stagflationary kind of outcome, which is the one thing that probably the central banks didn't need right now on top of everything. We've talked about inflation for a while, spiking higher, and now that likely uh, seems poised to continue with energy prices continue to move higher. And at the same time, near term, anyway, economic activity would start to decelerate a little bit. So it, it will make the Fed's job very difficult to kind of think about um, all those things going forward. But um, economically, Steve, again, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the energy situation, because at the end of the day, it seems to me like this is a, a story about energy more than anything else. Would you agree? Yeah, energy and commodities in general, George. I mean, I think that's the one thing that that has come home really hard to everybody in this. And that's just how, while, while Russia is maybe not... Uh, that important in terms of overall global GDP contribution, in terms of the overall size of its economy, um, it's very important in terms of commodity production, whether it's crude oil, natural gas, platinum, palladium, wheat, uh, all of these kind of things. And the, the, the fact that they, uh, they do produce as much of these commodities as they do and sell into the global market um, that it, it's it's given them maybe a bit outsized uh, influence and, and and possibly even um, helped embolden uh, embolden the actions of their government. So 
you know, I think we came into the year calling for crude oil prices to, to head for triple digits. I didn't think it would take a, a, a war to get them there. Uh, the, we've been in a situation where spare capacity had been very tight on a global basis for crude uh, coming into the year. We've underinvested in maintenance capex and and new capex to the tune of two hundred billion dollars a year each of the last two years. Typically, it takes half a trillion on a global basis just to maintain capacity and then produce a little bit more crude oil to meet demand every year. And we were we fell short of that for a whole host of reasons, whether it was COVID, whether it was ESG, climate change, all this stuff. Uh, we didn't spend enough money on, on crude production globally, and we're paying the price for that now. Um, and it didn't take much, and I didn't know what it was going to take. All I knew was we were very uh, in a very precarious position coming into the year, and, and, and this, is, this is what we, what we see happen when, uh, when, you're, when you're in a precarious position like that. So um, sad to say it, George, but I think we still have even further upside in crude, um, and that, and that and that still obtains, in my view, even if we get a, a, a favorable resolution in a, a short situation um, between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, so definitely a complicated situation for um, for commodity prices and for inflation, um, no doubt, no doubt for sure. Rajiv, what do you think this means for the Fed? I mean, they've got a key meeting coming up and kind of coming into this. Um, there was a lot of emphasis placed on the fact that the Fed might raise rates more aggressively than they otherwise would like to. Um, does that calculus change given what's happened in the last couple of days? Uh, yeah, I think really, really, I mean, I agree with you, George, as far as the long-term inflation and uh, perhaps stagflation effects are there and uh, some of the uncertainty surrounding that with the impact of the Ukraine situation is there. The Fed is obviously looking at geopolitical risk, but really their focus continues to be inflation. And uh, I think that's going to remain the case. Uh, the Fed may react a little less aggressively than uh, some of the probabilities that we saw last week, uh, where we saw many people calling for a 50 basis point hike in March. Um, I think with everything happening right now, that probability is, is much less now. I think that uh, Come March, we'll see the Fed uh, react with a 25 basis point move rather than a 50 basis point, 50 basis point move higher. Uh, if you look at the yield curve, I mean, the yield curve itself is, uh, is again, very flat. Uh, even with the invasion of Ukraine, it's hard to think that the Fed would be overly aggressive. Uh, in other words, uh, last week we were seeing some calls for seven, eight, maybe nine consecutive rate hikes. That right now, where we are right now, the geopolitical risk that we see right now, Seven, eight, nine consecutive rate hikes looks very aggressive. I think right now the probability for six rate hikes are there in the market right now. And you see the Fed uh, going to focus on their March 10th CPI print. I think that's going to be very telling for the Fed. And I think that uh, the Fed is uh, going to go moderately with the 25 basis point hike. And I think that's probably the right thing to do at this point. Uh, inflation is, is, is definitely front and center for the Fed. Um, we had a couple of Fed speakers as well talk about uh, you know, if we have a strong CPI report, uh, maybe we can go 50 basis points in March, but it's not getting as much reception as we saw a couple weeks ago. Rajiv, were you surprised that we didn't see a stronger flight quality bid in the 10-year treasury during, yes. the, during the trading? I mean, that was one thing yesterday that really caught my eye was that there really didn't seem to be a flight quality bid in the 10-year. Yes, I was going to I was going to talk to you about that too, Steve, because it was uh, interesting as we led up to the uh, Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict, 
we didn't see a lot of movement in the flight to quality bid. We didn't see the treasury yields really react where a safe haven type bid was going there. And I think that had a lot to do with the uh, with the Fed still being in play. Everybody knows the Fed's going to do something in March. Inflation is is there. It's something that needs to be uh, controlled. But then when the invasion actually happened, I expected a bigger flight to quality. And we actually saw it. We saw it for half a day yesterday. And then it immediately came back. And, and it disappeared. My question, it was it was crazy. Yes. My my question was going to be that, you know, we see rising stocks at the end of the day and modestly lower treasury yields. Um, so one of them is right. And, and is there too much optimism out there? I, I, it's, it's hard to tell. But I think if the Fed wasn't in play, if we didn't have this telegraph that the Fed is going to do something in March, perhaps we'd see a, a greater run to uh, safe haven assets. So it's funny that you mentioned that. But like, if you look at the intraday trading yesterday and, and even the continuation that we've had this morning, so lit literally the low print of the day yesterday was on the open. And we trended higher all through the trading session and we're up another 30 points on the S&P 500 today. Um, and, and a lot of it, in, in my view, has, it, it goes down to two things. One, the sanctions package that was revealed yesterday afternoon or yesterday morning really didn't go uh, any, it, it was less than a worst case scenario, right? I think that a worst case scenario sanctions package would have been something that included um, maybe barring Russia from SWIFT, and, and then that could have some serious economic implications uh, uh, across both the US and Europe, Europe in particular. Um, and I think that the market would have taken that um, much, much, much worse than, than what it did. But, but even then, we, saw, we just saw a tremendous amount of short covering yesterday. I mean, some of the numbers inside the market um, there was a, a lot of put selling going into this. This was pretty well telegraphed ahead of time. There was a lot of hedging that had already gone on going into it. So when you got the downdraft, it seemed like everybody decided to take their hedges off at the same time. And that's been what's been driving trading over the last day and a half. It makes me question whether it's really sustainable. There has been technical damage done to the market. But, but clearly, we had, um, we, we've had a tremendous amount of short covering that's gone on. Uh, based on the amount of hedging that had gone on heading into this crisis. Yeah, you're right, Steve. I mean, if you look at the range on the two-year, we're talking about uh, the yield curve. We were at 160 before the news came out. We went all the way down to 145. Today, we're at 160 again. So nothing happened. If you look at the 10-year, we were at 199. We went down to 184 when the news came out on, on Ukraine, and we're back up to one. 197 right now. So I mean, I look at those five-year high-yield CDXs, which is high-yield uh, credit default swaps. Intraday yesterday, we got to 397. Today, we're at 358. That's the same level we were at on February 17th. So, you know, I think that the, there's there, there has been um, a, a lot of, uh, there had been a lot of hedging going on, a lot of de-risking going into this. We got that spike yesterday and and it seems like we've really had we've really had people kind of take take some of those hedges off the table right now. I think the bigger thing to uh, keep in mind is that as typically as, as the historical playbook goes, when you have these big geopolitical events, and we've had, gosh, probably thirty of them or so in the last 60, 70 years or so, is that yeah the the near-term reaction is is pretty brutal and volatile, but as things play out over time, um, stock prices tend to recover. And I went back and looked at these episodes and saw that you know, 
about 85% of the time, one year later, stock prices are higher. I mean, that's not 100%, there's no guarantee, and there's all kinds of things that could make the situation different. But um, you know, for long-term investors who are patient and maybe just maybe opportunistically buy when, when things are really on, on sale, um, but being patient usually pays off. Um, of course, again, this, this could be a different situation that's worth noting, but, but I think historically people, or maybe markets do tend to, to revert towards um, a positive outlook based on the economic growth. And at the end of the day, it still seems to me that this is still a story about inflation. Um, maybe once some of this attention within Ukraine starts to simmer down a little bit. That's fantastic, gentlemen. I appreciate you going into the details of what's happening in both stock and bond markets. And George, thanks for concluding with a big picture perspective on what's happening long-term for our listeners. So George, Stephen, Rajiv, thanks for providing your insights. As always, we appreciate your wisdom, especially on such a difficult topic of the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. And be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key ba private bank and key bank institutional advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2021.